Guys, it kind of feels like, it smells like, I don't know, it seems like this is a revolution. And you're listening to All Elite Aotearoa, the most elite podcast all about All Elite Wrestling and all of Aotearoa New Zealand. It's a massive day. Rampage just beat Smackdown. I don't think I can believe it still, but by God, we are going to talk about it. So let's get cracking, because there is a lot to talk about, frankly. Well, 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 what a week indeed. <laughs> I think that I'm going to need to change the name of this podcast from the All Elite Aotearoa podcast to the All L Aotearoa podcast because I'm not sure that I got anything in last week's podcast right. And that's basically what we're going to be discussing right now is how badly I and hopefully many other people got things wrong last night. I've waited an extra day to put the podcast out this week because last week in the time that I put it out, within hours, um, things had changed dramatically and a lot of that information was completely null and void and the opinions were proven to be ridiculous. So I have waited. Um, We have the ratings for the much-talked-about head-to-head last week. Um, Just a little word to start with. There is going to be a bit of ratings chat to start with in this podcast, and I appreciate that that's not for everyone. A lot of people find this really frustrating. They find it very tedious. They find it very boring. They find it um, irrelevant to their viewing experience and totally understand uh, and empathize with that position. Personally, I think it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. It's it's kind of getting into that nitty gritty, um, and the almost the worst aspects of fandom in many ways. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. The whole media landscape I find personally to be something that I could talk about for hours and read about for hours on end. So. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, so I'll put a little uh, timestamp in the notes for this week's episode, so you can just skip all of this if this is not to your liking and you just would like to hear more about wrestling. As I say, completely understand, and um, hopefully you can still get something out of this. But for those who are interested in ratings chat uh, and the, I suppose, politicking of this whole wrestling battle I still uh don't particularly like to use the word war um let's just let's call, let's call it a battle <laughs> man there are some there are some numbers to unpack from last week now when I did go uh when I did record the show last week I we were at the stage where um TK had announced where he'd sort of made a bit of a a challenge to Smackdown in the sense of saying that they're going head to head with us this is our card it's fire and, um, you know, I look forward to beating you. And I foolishly said I was glad that he was not going to buckle to whatever that WWE threw at him. Um, 
But it turns out that that's not necessarily what happened. WWE, after Tony Khan's proclamations, made the stipulation that their half an hour that they were going head-to-head with um, with Rampage would not have commercials. So there would be that big difference. Um, but perhaps even more significantly, Tony Khan made some changes. He didn't make any changes to the card, which I still really respect, but he did create the buy-in. And he announced for the buy-in Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki, which was a pretty massive deal. Um, so definitely did a bit of work on his behalf to try and hype up the show as much as possible. And this, there is just so much to unpack about the shows themselves and these results. First up, what we have well, what we've found out this morning, New Zealand time, is that the in terms of the demographic for the overall ratings of these shows, it was a tie. They both got a 0.24. So you don't necessarily need to know what those numbers mean in terms of the specific um, numbers that they are in terms of actual people because that, that's sort of a complicated algorithm and ultimately for the purposes of this discussion, it doesn't really matter um but that shift to fs1 really you know it did take a massive chunk out of the numbers as we expected brought them down into the 800,000s 866,000 as opposed to normally around about the 2.1 2.2 i think even up to sort of 2.3 2.4 million don't don't quote me on that but always always over 2 million the when they're on fox so really shows the impact of what being on network television does for your product compared to cable um, and rampage managed to draw 578,000 which is up on where it has been recently and it's a pretty good number all things considered i would i would have thought um, but particularly in terms of the demographic, both scoring a 0.24 each. That is pretty extraordinary news on its own. What's most extraordinary, though, is that we had a head-to-head of half an hour. And if you'll recall my uh, confident and bold proclamations last week was that a CM Punk and Matt Seidel match would be absolutely slaughtered by Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Well, I sort of had everything wrong in that regard because I'm I'm not sure there will be people out there that know more about this than I do because you, you might watch both shows or um you have a you just have a better idea of the the granular detail of the programming itself. My understanding is that the main segment of that last half hour or the sort of big segment was actually the contract signing between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Um I think the the Becky and Sasha stuff was still involved in there, but it wasn't as as clean cut as I thought it was going to be. I thought they were basically stacking Becky and Sasha um, solely, and it doesn't appear to be the case. So what's particularly interesting about that is that the first half hour of Rampage was not just CM Punk either. That match went for about 15 to 20 minutes. That was commercial-free as well, but then it moved into uh, Ruby Soho, versus the bunny so different first half hours oh sorry you're gonna you're gonna hear my dog again actually just a quick note you're gonna hear a lot of background noise today I think they're they're painting our um 
I live in a row of townhouses and they're painting all of them. So we've got cherry pickers outside. We've got um, water blasting. We've got a whole lot of different things happening. Um, I've had to close all the windows. The air conditioning is now off because that was making too much noise as well. So um, hopefully it doesn't get too absolutely cooking in here. And I have a board dog next to me who has had his cone taken off thankfully but is now just being fussy because instead of taking him for a walk I'm talking to you lovely people we will go for a walk later buddy I promise you I promise you um sorry getting back to the wrestling which is what you're actually I assume wanting to talk about um we had this sort of different first half hour on both shows than what I originally guessed and um, a different result to what we would have guessed. So obviously SmackDown won overall. That is to be absolutely expected. Um, but they lost the demo in that head-to-head half hour. SmackDown had 285,000 people in the 18 to 30, uh, sorry, 18 to 49 demographic, which was a... What was that? I think that was a point two or something. Oh, who cares? Um, the main thing is that Rampage had 328,000. So they won, and they won quite comprehensively, which was a result that, well, I mean, it doubled the rating from the week before for a start, which is incredible. Sorry, you can hear that beeping now, I'm sure. Um, but to get that victory, I suppose, over... Smackdown is an extraordinary achievement. It, I don't think we can really exaggerate this too much. I know people were sort of like, oh, calm down, they were on a different network and um, they won the overall viewership. But those are two, the, the, the different network element is kind of the point. It illustrates how much of a difference being on network television makes. And B, the overall audience also illustrates a point that the the, the WWE audience is very old that basically the over 50s are carrying them which is really remarkable because I still think that I'm too old to be watching wrestling um, and it kind of gives me hope that actually I am allowed to watch it when I'm super old and that's not that big a deal <laughs> um, but yeah some really fascinating stuff so I I was wrong about everything I was wrong about how the shows looked I was wrong about who would win, I was wrong about the the numbers, just you couldn't be more comprehensively wrong about everything than I was last week, um, and really just awesome stuff for AEW, I'm unabashedly excited by this, I think this is incredible, I, I actually am struggling to believe it somewhat, this is such a phenomenal result, um, and as a fan of the product, I, I think it's amazing, I think it's just such good news. I think it's such good news particularly because it wasn't, they threw everything at AEW. Um, and despite those efforts, they weren't successful. Well, I think the thing I'm actually most happy about as well is that even though Tony Khan did, you know, make some changes, he took commercials out, which is, uh, you know, there's people criticizing him for what he said around that in terms of having more money, which is true for a start, but also... Uh, ignores the larger point of him saying that we don't want to take advertising out of this product because ultimately that's destroying the entire business model. So stop doing that. Um, and, you know, he's right. They 
if if that's the route they wanted to go down, ultimately AEW would outlast WWE because the Khans have a lot more money than the McMahons. Um, just park that aside for one moment. So even though he made that change and he bought the buy-in in, weird turn of phrase there, even though he created the buy-in and he put those that massive Danielson match on there, I'm so stoked that he didn't touch the card itself. He let the product speak for itself and he didn't undermine his performers ultimately he kept particularly the women's match in the center there and let them go head to head and it was victorious that is fantastic news that is how you build good faith in your performers and that's how you build trust in your products so wow 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 what a what a series of developments it's still a it's a still a live story as i said I've, I've waited a day to go with this podcast so that we could sort of see what they look like but i wanted to you know get get the episode out there thanks barney for shaking um on microphone again and so we could so we could talk about it because it is a phenomenal phenomenal array of events that have been undertaken so yeah cool stuff and just continuing the ratings chat just on on a different tangent very quickly i swear this will be very quickly i know i say that it's going to be very quick and it never actually turns out very quick but i swear this time it will be the we've seen this really interesting controversy for want of a better word around fast nationals a term no one had heard of really except for you know maybe Meltzer a few weeks ago and it looks like for 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 those who haven't heard this term are unfamiliar or have seen it get thrown about and are a bit confused by it, apparently fast nationals are a collection of data from sort of the top, I think it's 53 markets. And and that gets sort of processed the next day. And then they have algorithms that they can extrapolate out to give an approximate number um, early on. Now, it, it seems to be that those numbers give, give a good sort of general guideline, but they're, they're, they're definitely on the lower end. They they tend to be under-reporting. And it, and it looks as though a lot of wrestling news sites suddenly started getting these numbers um, recently and no one was quite sure why. And it seems that because Rampage's numbers have been declining, that it has been WWE leaking those numbers to um, sites. For what purpose, I'm not sure. I think my the only thing I can guess is that they want to sort of because they, they tend to be lower than the actual numbers, they want to control the narrative early on. They want to say, hey, instead of getting 550,000 or whatever, they got 480,000. And if that's the first number that goes out, and it is, it's not it's not a made-up number, it, it comes from some sort of source related to Nielsen, then they get to control the narrative. And it, it hasn't been unsuccessful, I don't think. But it became very apparent what was happening when the Fast Nationals were not leaked um this week or were leaked in, in a different way i was like i don't know I, I the whole thing is is the height of pettiness and it's kind of hilarious and um i feel like i should be saying that i think this is disgraceful behavior and it's um and it's really bad but i i, I think it's funny um and i think it's one of those things where it, it really does show that as much as WWE is now this corporate behemoth, there are still some absolute carnies in there that just do the most carny stuff, which 
must be just so flattering if you're in AEW and and you're especially if you're Tony Khan because all that it's done now is create another narrative where you look very very rinky dink and ultimately like AEW have looked a bit carny recently I think Tony Khan's looked a little bit carny he's gone very old school in his promotion but they're allowed. They're the wrestling organization. Um, I think WWE are meant to be above all that. But anyway, I thought that was just an interesting little side note. We now have to talk about Fast Nationals and we now will see an absolute bun fight over those going forward. So if you are sick of ratings talk and you think that there's enough going on, um, it's not gonna it's not gonna go away, is it? It's only gonna be worse in the future so just maybe maybe don't visit twitter and um maybe i'll I'll start including timestamps in all podcasts i think that's really it for the news for this week this there's plenty i'm sure that's been going on but that's the stuff that everyone's talking about that's i wanted to i wanted to touch on it in a bit of depth to just let everybody know that your boy is apparently a bit of a clown who likes to just take L's on 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 the rig. Yeah, I hope you don't mind me spending a bit of time having having fun with that because ultimately you heard what I said and um, I heard what I said and we may as well enjoy the fact that these are the kind of losses that we love to have. Anyway, I think from here let's move into having a bit of a recap of the shows last week because again lots lots of thoughts there um some positive some not so positive Welcome back to All Elite Aotearoa, or All Al Aotearoa, whatever we want to call it this week. Let's going to have a recap of the shows last week, and we're going to start with the buy-in, the last-minute sort of addition to the schedule. And straight up front, I'm just going to tell you, this was my favorite show of the week, and you can probably guess why. Same reason I think everyone else probably had a very similar, um, or held this held the show in such high esteem like I did now all the all the shows from last week it's it's such a strange thing when we're, we're doing everything just in reverse order we've got a buy-in that we don't normally have then we're going rampage then we're going dynamite they're all live shows all three live separate shows one leads into another one and they're all in Miami and one thing I just want to get out of the way up top is this Miami crowd were pretty average um and it's a real shame. It's 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 so good that they could pull off a sort of demographic victory with the show because if they were doing this somewhere like New York or Philadelphia, the shows, all of them would have been so much better. This I, I feel like there was probably, I knew they were struggling with ticket sales for this, um, but it seemed like there was 150 people in the crowd. And unless it was the big match, you know, um, like involving Danielson essentially, or, or punk this crowd sat on their hands and it was it was brutal at times um so really gutted that they they were in miami i hope they don't go there again for a long time i know they've done a few shows there 
sort of since they've been on the road and maybe they've burned that town out for a bit. Um, yeah, this was hugely disappointing in that regard. And why I'm starting with this point was because when the buy-in started, I was like, they opened with Ty Conti versus Santana Garrett. And it was, it was eerie how quiet this crowd was. And it was alarming. And I was sort of like, oh man, if people have switched over from the Fed, this is probably the worst impression you could give them. And that's so unfair because the, this wasn't a bad match. I saw a lot, people were online ridiculing Santana Garrett, and I'm not sure why. I didn't. I saw clips from their match that they had. It's typical TK putting so much thought into this. Apparently, this was a rematch of the first NXT match that ever beat uh, Dynamite in a quarter. So he, of course, put it up as the lead match in the buy-in, which is pretty crafty. And sort of classic Tony Khan in terms of that attention to detail. But I've seen clips from that match and it was pretty slow. Looked like a bit of a rehearsal. But that's only clips that I've seen. So that could be completely um, unrepresentative of the whole thing. I thought this match was I thought this match was okay. It was a bit slow in parts. Garrett certainly telegraphed some stuff and looked sometimes a bit happy to be getting kicked. But generally, I thought this was a I thought this was a good match. I I mean, Ty Conti is normally very over with the fans. She's sort of the epitome of a smiling baby face, literally and metaphorically. Um, Garrett's got plenty of experience. I thought she looked all right. It's not too much to really chat about. It was an opener. It was it was pretty quick. the The awkward part was just the crowd were just dead, and it just made the whole thing so much more awkward and took away so much from the performances of the people in the ring. I think it's got to be so much... We, well, we know that this is is a challenge. We saw it when the pandemic started and they were started to wrestle um, without crowds and how much it affected performances because you weren't able to feed off people. This may as well have been a pandemic crowd. It was so dead. Um, and so I felt sorry for the performers. And I think they were really unfairly judged by people online. I, th- I thought there was nothing wrong with this match. I'm going to scrap ratings because I think... It's just kind of nonsense, and I, I feel like I just constantly give the same ratings. It's either a B or an A+. Plus. I'm not very good at it. Obviously, I wouldn't be a very good teacher. So, yeah, I thought this was fine. Um, it, was, it, it, was just, it was just a shame of where it was. I think if you did this the other week at um, in Queens, this would have been the, the crowd would have been ridiculous for it just because they were such a good crowd regardless. Um, so, yeah, it, it, a bad start to the show. <laughs> bad start to the show in terms of the overall atmosphere but it's, it started to improve and we saw it start to improve even just um as the next match started with Bobby Fish and Lee Moriarty and something I just want to take a minute to express is that a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that I was not familiar with uh Bobby Fish's over well, I don't know what the word I was trying to make myself sound smarter by using a fancy word and I can't remember what the word I wanted to use was over over his back catalogue basically is what I'm saying, his career, I I wasn't particularly familiar with it, Um, and in the space of two weeks, I've seen him wrestle three times now, and I am a massive fan of this guy, I really love his, his whole package, I love his entrance music, I love his look, I love his style, I think this is a, a fantastic get, um, 
I'm not sure why he wasn't doing more in WWE considering his age and experience from what I understand. I don't know what the deal is. I'm sure some of you guys do. So I'm not going to talk any more about it because I know nothing about it. But well done to AEW on taking a guy I knew nothing about, had no opinion on two weeks ago, and now thoroughly look forward to everything he does and want to see more of him because I I think he's amazing. I think he's incredible. And I thought this match was fantastic. It's exciting to see Moriarty on, I mean, I know it's, not technically TV, but you know, it is a high profile YouTube show rather than just being dark or dark elevation. There was a lot of buzz around his signing online, and I can see why. I'm hoping that he's an AEW lifer or you know, a long term prospect that they build over the next couple of years to be a real solid hand because his, his upside is fantastic, and I think. This was just a perfect um, match for an experienced guy to give a young fellow the rub. Um, love Fish's physicality. Love his, his kicking. Um, this one, it's it's such an interesting lead into the, to the next night on um, on Dynamite, which we'll obviously talk about later. In terms of storyline, this is a much shorter match than we see next. It's only about seven or eight minutes, um, and they're packed quite a bit into this one of the things sorry just getting back to how much I love Bobby Fish love that he wears a mouth guard such an un um underrepresented little gimmick that I remember Kurt Angle used to do it when he was sort of towards the end of his WWE career and the start of TNA when he was working as kind of just a nasty almost shoot fighter and he'd, he'd put the mouth guard in and it makes such a difference I think it just gives such an air of uniqueness and authenticity and sort of badassery um, I think that they had some wonderful spots in this not that I can remember any off the top of my head um, but overall I was I was really happy with this and I think it did start to build you know a bit of anticipation for what was the match of the week which was Brian Danielson and Minoru Suzuki and I mean, this ultimately, those first two matches were just warm-ups for this, weren't they? This was, this was the money match. This thing was a masterpiece. Uh, this has probably been my favorite match so far in AEW this year. Before it was, um, it was Danielson and Omega at uh, Grand Slam. I think a lot of people probably have the same opinion. I think where this one benefited was just simply the fact that it was a one-off, whereas the the Grand Slam match is obviously part of a longer-term vision. We know that they were holding back. We know that they're going to have some profoundly brutal matches in the future, but we didn't we don't have that with this one. So they were able to leave everything out on the table. And they left everything out on the table. This was, oh, I mean, if you ever want to introduce anyone to Japanese Strong Style wrestling in terms of the test of strength and the physicality this is this is the one to show them because it was what what is there to say it was stiff in ways that you don't normally see in north america and in mainstream promotions that's just all there is to it the forearm spot where he actually opened him up and knocked his ass to the ground that's selling from danielson it just shows why he's he is a generational talent and one of the greatest in history. They told the story of just 
brutality and almost senseless aggression and self-sacrifice the all the stuff we we're excited for leading into it like the the um the lean-in spots where you know danielson leans in okay he didn't necessarily do it like this but the you know the popping up and down was incredible uh there was only one one near fall i think i read in this match and it's i didn't notice it that's the thing is it's like yeah the drama in this match came completely in an different way this slow burn insane brutality this was 20 minutes it was it was the same way that the grand slam match was half an hour that felt like 15 minutes this was 20 minutes that felt like 10 there was so much packed into it but not packed into it there was moments when nothing happened like long moments where nothing happened other than just building tension this was I don't know how you can regularly do this kind of match because even though you know there's a lot of selling and effectiveness this can't be anything but brutal on your body how Suzuki can do this at 53 years old is mind-boggling this was this was one of the best things I've seen in wrestling full stop and the fact that they did this on a YouTube buy-in show just says so much about the caliber of talent that these two men have as artists in their craft. I loved this. This was, I can't say enough good things about it. And if I don't stop now, I'll be talking for the next hour about this alone. This elevated the whole evening. This elevated everything around it. I loved it. I loved it. I've watched it two more times since it was live. The, the shots don't get any less stiff. The action doesn't get any less tense. If we could have more of this, I this would oh this would change the game for good. Um, yeah. So the buy-in, awesome stuff. Perfectly paced, I suppose. Like a lovely um, build from the Conti show to the to the to the fish show to the Danielson show building to this massive crescendo just wish for the life of me it could have been in front of a decent crowd a couple thousand or you know maybe like five thousand in a place like Philadelphia like we had last week this would have been one of the most iconic things we would have seen awesome awesome stuff Now we're going to take a, a bit of a look at Rampage, the overachieving show of the year, I suppose. Uh, the crowd, at least now, I mean, it's still a pretty garbage crowd, still had to light the whole place up. Well, sorry, not light the whole place up. The whole place is blacked out so that you can't see that there are so few people there. Um, but at least they've had that absolute humdinger from Danielson and Suzuki to get into into the mood and to get their voices warm. 
so that when Rampage actually kicks off, once they start with CM Punk, it's actually a pretty pretty good atmosphere. So CM Punk and Matt Seidel, I said last week, would I really want to see this match. I think this would be amazing, but would not be a draw compared to Becky and Sasha. So I will just, I'm just re- reminding you all how completely wrong I was again, just because it needs to be remembered, I think. <laughs> yeah this is cool this is this is i think one of the things you can tell about how much fun cm punk seems to be having is how he's occasionally building storyline into the match on the fly which is really cool um and what i mean by that is there's a there's a particular spot that demonstrates that in the match where he's he's getting over a body slam which is pretty awesome. A body slam as a move that has impact hasn't been over since probably WrestleMania three. Um, and so he delivers a body slam, the crowd go wild for it and they demand another one. So punk gets him up and is playing to the crowd for a body slam, which is, in, I mean, if you want to point to anyone that disputes Punk's charisma in this day and age, that's up there with the time that, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, the time that Cody Rhodes was able to get a moustache over in WWE. That's that's, that's talent. Um, but what was cool is, you know, they had enough wherewithal that they were able to work that into a counter, into a, a previously, you know, sort of arranged segment, I suppose, or at least one that I assume was previously arranged some really cool stuff throughout this match. As as again, you would expect. Seidel, he looks incredible. You know, he must be similar age to Punk. These guys have come up in the business together. Um, and he just looks, he looks insane. The selling again from Punk is 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 phenomenal in terms of that. I, I love his, part of it's probably, like, it's it's real. And he just exaggerates a little bit. This is, you know, his, how he's gassed, essentially. He, he really emphasizes and sort of emotes that, like, this is tough. Like, I'm really struggling. That heavy breathing. Those little details that I'm, that I'm really enjoying um, from him are, are really cool. It obviously goes the way we expected. The punk was always, always going to win. Um and and it's fine like it's 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 a popular decision one of the other things that i i I am always going to pop for i'm a big mark for this is one of the things i liked about the old days of ring of honor is i love a respect spot so i'm a big fan of them shaking hands at the start of the match i'm a big big fan of them embracing at the ends i love that stuff it ties in really well to this whole um lovey-dovey thing that CM Punk has going on and it's going to make it such a more powerful contrast when eventually he does turn obviously um so yeah cool cool match um really strong opener continues Punk's just I I mean I there's so many people complaining about the way he's been booked that just don't understand what they're doing with it he's in the middle of a of a love tour he's you, how are you supposed to book him straight into a feud? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's what's who's he angry with? He's having the time of his life. You've got to sort of get to that point. He's at the moment focusing on showcasing his broad array of talents and putting mostly younger guys over, or at least giving them the rub by giving them these really 
tight matches that showcase a lot of different styles it's just it's so disingenuous i think that the people i think that there's two two groups of people there's the people that have just been conditioned by wwe viewing to not understand that you don't have to hot shot straight into a feud when someone starts that you can take your time and let things develop organically and then there's people that are just um and oh, sorry i should say those people there's nothing wrong with that they they'll sort of learn with time. It's it's 20 years of a monopoly that needs to be unpacked. But there's another group of people that are just disingenuous dicks and they're making these points in bad faith and they're probably not actually watching the product anyway. This was cool. Predictable, but left everyone in a very, very good mood. Um, we go to a little segment which involves the Dark Order issuing challenge to the Young Bucks yep is is what it is no um actually no you know what this was this was okay i was just about to really be really dismissive of this but actually it was kind of neat the way that they they sort of made it clear that like yeah you guys might dick around with uh hangman at the um you know with extra people at the pay-per-view but we've got his back and ultimately that's nice to keep that little connection alive they haven't that that relationship hasn't been showcased too much in the past couple of weeks since Hangman has been back. But now that I've said that, um, I'm sure that this week it'll be the main focus of the show or something, just to continue my Herculean uh, streak of getting predictions wrong. Um, and of course, then we move to a match that I was very much looking forward to, Ruby Soho and the Bunny, mainly looking forward to it. Not so much that I'm a massive Bunny fan, but really really um enjoying ruby soho at the moment and obviously she's pretty popular as she comes out she's already over but we do i feel like get um the crowd dying off again really badly for this one and i don't know this i think is is, is a problem in terms of the way that aw and the women's division can be um can be perceived it's it, it's it's a sort of one of those questions around perception where how much of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy so at what point you know they've, they've sort of backed themselves into a bit of a corner in the early days of doing a pretty poor job with the women's division that now people see it regardless of whatever they do because oh, this isn't this isn't this is two good performers one red hot performer really and they're both pretty decent workers um but the crowd just didn't seem hugely interested and i mean i suppose it, it is it is the follow-up to a punk match so it's always going to sort of be a bit of a breather a chance for everyone to inhale but um it, it's it's a real it's a real shame um the they sort of they do come alive obviously when soho makes her um sort of come back at the end uh, the sort of return from the commercial break and, and she's starting to go on a a rampage you might say um, and but it's ah, well, beautiful German suplex team but I suppose this is this is the other problem I have is that the they get the win and rather than it just being the win they come in with this they come in with this interruption from Penelope and it's I have such mixed thoughts on it because partially I appreciate that they're building up a story here. They are, you know, 
building up an, a, a really important narrative in that division that's away from the very top of the card and then sort of away from the what they seem to be doing with Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida that we'll talk about later. So they're, they're trying to build multiple stories like they do with the men. But again, I just feel like it just sort of, it sort of took the air of the, in the room out a little bit when she pulled out the brass knucks and knocked her, leaving her in the ring. It, it felt very forced. It felt very WWE. It felt very WCW. And I don't mean those in good ways. I think that AEW personally, if I was the one that if, if, if I had had what I wanted to see, there wouldn't have necessarily been that continuation at that point. They would have just showcased the match and let the match speak for itself because there wasn't the reaction to this that I hope they were garnering. And it just gets a bit repetitive, I feel. And we're, de- we're definitely going to touch on this um, in the Dynamite chat a bit later on. Um, so it, it was a good match, um, just sort of let down, I think, by the the crowd sort of not really being into it that much and also a bit of a just a lame brass knuckle spot at the end that we've seen so many times and I'm not sure we necessarily need to see every time they have a match but happy to hear why I'm wrong on that point. And finally we move to the main event of the show which I've been this whole storyline I've been bagging on for the past couple of weeks and I bagged on it particularly last week. What I didn't anticipate was that Tony Khan would go on a W fan radio show and sell the crap out of this card and actually get me a little bit invested in it. He's he's such a good promoter that I actually came around to this a little bit and suddenly um, got interested. And the presentation of this match was pretty cool actually to start with. I have to I have to admit that um, it, it it started pretty well. the The entrance the entrances is where it kicked off. the The crowd were just hugely into um, into Judas, of course, of course they were, as you'd expect. That's part of the. I mean, that's just classic wrestling one hundred and one. Dan Lambert has bagged it, so of course they're gonna go along. Really cool. Oh, oh, perfectly fine with that but what I what I did <laughs> really really I did enjoy actually was Dan Lambert and American Top Team and Men of the Year coming out with with like no music which is um yes hi bunny which which is funny he's having a go at them for singing um Judas and when this is their hometown and the fact that they don't have uh, any music which is I just thought that was a funny touch and we did get some real nuclear heat off this again crowd just making it almost impossible to hear Lambert so that's good um the the match itself starts which is yeah it's it's definitely better than I thought it would be as I've mentioned many times online I am not big on MMA fighters just coming into wrestling um because they seem to get a free pass almost that because they're legit fighters, they can do the choreograph fighting. And the thing is that they often can't. I think Ronda Rousey is the example that shows that they should be able to do it, but they need the time to practice because she had she had a warm-up. She had time to ease into it and to actually train. And when she came in, she was phenomenal because she was such a gifted fighter 
uh, generally. And I think we, you know, we we see that with Suzuki as well. It's kind of a kind of another example. Um, I Dos Santos, okay, okay, but it just I just got real Carl Malone, um, Dennis Rodman vibes from 1998, Bash of the Beach. Uh, really sort of not that comfortable awful strikes the strikes were just abysmal um you know he was he was throwing these just terribly soft worked punches on Jake Hager Jake Hager is an MMA fighter he's an actual MMA fighter and he fights for Bellator like you know UFC's opposition so you think that they could actually do some sort of you know, close to shoot fighting. And if there's two guys in there that can, that can take it, it's, it's those two. But instead we got this really awful looking, um, sort of scuffle between the two of them. seems to be a thing that, you know, as I've said multiple times, MMA fighters just don't know how to throw a good worked punch, but that's okay. Um, when the wrestlers, I think were in the ring was great. I love that they started with Sammy Guevara and Scorpio skies as, as, as much as I don't like Scorpio skies, he'll turn, He's a wonderful talent. He's such a good wrestler. And obviously, Sammy is just on fire. On fire to the point where I think that the producers sort of almost forgot just how important he is to their product because they were focusing on a spot later on in the match where Junior Dos Santos had Jake Hager over his shoulder and he was sort of lurching around the ring and they actually missed what was I've seen now from other angles like fan cams on their phones essentially just this extraordinary moonsault from Semi Guevara that the crowd popped for we all heard it and we're like what the hell did we just see um it probably would have benefited them to have actually kept their eyes on Guevara rather than um Dos Santos lumbering around the ring um especially considering his spot where he was getting put through a table was a while away and, and credit actually to where to to both of them for that table spot that table spot was badass that looked really cool um and good on him for for taking it I mean I know it's not you know it's actually nicer probably to go through the table than to be put on the floor regardless but still you know that's that takes balls and I I enjoyed that part of it during the match Jericho just sort of shows again why he's um just the most selfless wrestler in the whole company perhaps over either of the two big companies he gives so much offense to Junior Dos Santos he gives so much offense to Scorpio Sky um it it's he gets the hot tag to Guevara to to take control of the match he basically um does not look that great in this match but by design not not because he's incompetent because he's putting dudes over Uh, I saw someone make an interesting comment the other day that they actually wish he would do a little bit less of this putting people over because he's taken a lot of big pins recently um which is an interesting thought I hadn't really thought about like that I had such respect for the fact that he was doing it that I never really thought about the fact that maybe actually he deserves a win look it's I think it's an interesting point but also I think that Chris Jericho has a lot of power has a lot of influence um if he's happy doing what he's doing, then it's the right call. Ultimately, he's making those decisions in conjunction with Tony Khan about what he's doing. I don't think anyone is forcing Chris Jericho 
to give Junior Dos Santos and Sammy Guevara and Scorpio Sky the rub in the same match. I think he's very, very happy to do that. And that's a pretty remarkable thing. So, yeah, I, I, I sort of empathize with that point a little bit, but also, like, let's not complain about a veteran putting over young talent because I still remember the times where that was not a common thing for people to do. We get... The end is um, Jericho gets Sky in the walls of Jericho and um, Paige Van Zant uh, runs a distraction. Actually, I do want to just touch on something that I wasn't big on Jericho doing earlier. Uh, was it in this one? It might have been in Dynamite. Crap, I can't even remember. But we he, they rolled out the, the who's on top joke again in the build-up to this. Like, that's something cool and funny in 2021 okay whatever but i was also not really a big fan of the whole like misogyny thing where he's like yo like i wouldn't touch you with your husband's genitals or whatever i mean really is that is that Paige van zant's worth in this feud is that based off her sexuality or something i i don't know it's again i'm not particularly offended by this stuff it's not offensive it's just lame and it's kind of like, come on, man. You're one of the funniest people on the roster in the business. You can definitely do better than that. Um, that's just a little side note. Anyway, she gets up, makes the distraction, and uh, Masvidal comes in with one of the worst flying knees I've ever seen. Again, it's just this thing where they're so good at doing it in real life, they don't seem to be able to do it when it's choreographed. And, you know... I think I feel like Chris Jericho is experienced enough that he can take a pretty stiff shot um, without the need for you to completely miss him, which is basically what this felt like. Anyway, that's that's the that's the thing as he flies in with the knee. Um, Sky then pins him for the win. So Sky Sky gets a pretty good result out of this, considering the fact that you know the whole thing is about how they've been overlooked and now he's just pinned the first AEW world champion on um the episode of Rampage that has just been smackdown uh or sorry tied with smackdown in terms of the key demographic that's that's a pretty good result for him and this match was so much better than I thought it was going to be just generally speaking as of I I know I sound like a broken record I've harped on about how much I'm not on board with the storyline I was hoping that the inner circle would win, um, but ultimately they did not, um, which is fine. And then um, just to continue my fascinating trend of L's for the week, <laughs> uh, if you go to my Twitter profile, you see where I've clipped a little segment from last week where I'm complaining that the inner circle are no longer a thing that basically since the um, double or nothing match the stadium stampede two with the pinnacle we've barely seen them together and it's weird why did they do that blah 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 I'm mad I would like to see the inner circle together I really like the inner circle blah 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 and what happens of course proud and powerful come out to make the save and thereby reuniting the inner circle uh, which then becomes the one of the main stories for the next night so i mean maybe you know what i'm saying i'm taking an l i'm going to say that tony khan's a listener of the podcast and he heard that and in the next couple of hours between his announcements 
or something or between the few days when they put the show together he, he made that change because of me you know what that's the way i'm gonna go with it that's so you know if you like the winner circle you're welcome that that was me that was definitely all me so that was rampage rampage was uh um it was definitely one of the better rampages that there's been in in the series run um the the high point for me the the punk inside our match very hot opener but everything, all the matches were great. I, I really enjoyed the the Ruby, Soho and um, Bunny match, even if I wasn't a big fan of the closing segment. And I think I just had such low expectations for the main event that they didn't have to do much to surpass them, but they surpassed them quite handily. So very, very happy with that show, actually. Really enjoyed Rampage. Um, particularly in hindsight, I think I enjoyed it because Dynamite, which we're going to talk about next wasn't such a fan of. Okay, so we're returning to the James L. Knight Centre yet again for what is technically, I suppose, the third show in two nights. And it's the big one. It is Dynamite. And Dynamite is, for probably the first time, I think, the weaker of the shows this week. Dynamite um, plays out kind of similar to last week in a lot of ways in, in the sense that there's a lot packed in. But whereas last week I was really praising them for the way that they balance it, this week I think... They did not such a great job, to to put it mildly. I think this was a pretty poorly balanced show. There was a lot of things that just didn't feel right, felt a bit uncomfortable, segments that weren't timed particularly well. Um, yeah, this was this was definitely a mixed bag of dynamite. I was not a big fan of it, even though there's stuff that I really, really liked in here. And one of the things I did really like was the way that the show started off. My God, did it start off strong with this match between Malachi Black and Dante Martin. Now, this was a match I think we were all looking forward to. Dante Martin has been so impressive during this singles run. He has made such a name for himself. And Malachi Black is on this pretty powerful unbeaten streak and has... A lot of charisma, you know, classic tweener, isn't he? He's meant to be a heel in the traditional sense, but the crowd absolutely adores him. There's so much charisma there. There's such a cool style in the ring, such a cool presentation and everything. Um, early on in the match, Martin gets his knee injured. And um, what one thing I just wanted to make note of this is I thought he did a pretty remarkable job of selling for the entire match. And, you know, there's, there's, there's holes in, in, in the way he's selling and that kind of thing. But it's it's such a typical criticism towards guys like him, those high flyers that they don't sell. And they don't tend to sell. That's not really their thing. It is, it's, it's, it's a style of wrestling that's more about the spots and it's more about the acrobatics and that kind of thing. And I, I, mean, I love it. I know why people don't, etc. That's a conversation for a different day. 
but I thought it added a nice touch. Um, I think what was particularly cool was sort of towards the end where he had Leo Rush on the outside telling him not to do a springboard and he went for it but could only do it off one leg and it did not work at all and that led to the downfall of the of him in the match um, ultimately uh, Black getting the pin so I thought that was a really neat element that they were not only having this really cool clash of styles but they also um, involved some good storytelling with you know his story with Leo Rush, but also just really good ring psychology in terms of that selling. Um, obviously, just some wonderful spots in here. There was this super hurricane runner that got the crowd going. Um, some, you know, the, the amount of springboards that he he does is just absurd the balance that he has is uh, i'm talking about martin now obviously is um just absolutely superb and the match ends with a pretty pretty awesome malachi black stiff roundhouse kick so yeah this this match was brilliant i think it was the clash of styles that we all expected it to be but with the bonus surprise of some really great sort of storytelling for dante martin more than more than Malachi Black, which was really cool. Next up, we have a segment, um, and this is where I think already we start to see some real problems with this show. We have the elite beating down Jurassic Express, and in isolation, this segment's actually kind of fun. I like the way that they repair the botch from last week, obviously powerbombing Kenny Omega through the table, but what is generally sort of not so great about it is that this is going to become a running theme for the night it's going to become such a running theme that CM Punk's going to start making jokes about it because it becomes kind of so I suppose uncomfortable um so yeah it, it felt a bit repetitive felt a bit redundant but also uh the the I suppose the elite super click young bucks fan and me um did really actually enjoy the fact that they they fixed the bot from last week that was kind of fun um and this leads into another segment which is the inner circle reunion so as i say you guys can thank me for this happening um or curse me if you don't like the inner circle depending on your preference i'm solely responsible for this for last week on the podcast complaining about the fact that the inner circle have disappeared and it is in this segment that we have Jericho's um, sort of lame cracks against Paige Van Zandt. It was, yeah, I was wrong before when I was getting my nights confused. These shows kind of blur into one in some ways. Um, but it's, you know, it's cool to see the inner circle back together. It's cool to see the pop that Proud and Powerful get. It's, I've really missed them personally. I think they're such a cool tag team. I really want to see them be the champions. Uh, not sooner rather than later, but also, you know, sooner rather than later. Interesting that Lambert makes mention that they're going to be talking about gold uh, in the future. So assuming that means someone's going to be challenging Guevara for his title, either Sky or Paige. Really hope it's Paige out of those two. I think um, he could really benefit from the rub and he's the one that's been doing the best work out of them, I think. But also really don't want Sammy to lose so I'm hoping that it's um, something where Guevara retains um, and he closes out the segment and gets a massive pop threatening to kick everyone's asses next week which is you know 
yeah, it's a good way. As I've said in the past, I don't think Sammy is a great promo, particularly as a baby face. So I think this is probably the best way to do things is to let people talk around him and him to get the last say in a really energetic spot like that because it left the crowd hot, which was pretty cool. So following that segment, we get one of the, I suppose, more controversial uh, parts of the evening. Andrade El Idolo has promised everyone that he has a masked luchadore tag team to face um, the Lucha Brothers. And there was all this talk online last week, people trying to guess who it was. Um, I didn't offer any guesses. I couldn't for the life of me think who it was. But all of us were swerved and we probably should have seen it coming. I'm sure many of you did. There'd be plenty of people claiming that they did anyway that the um, Green Frog tag team that came out was very obviously right from the start, <laughs> FTR. And um, this part of it is brilliant. It really, this is so funny and so clever and so um, just perfect, I suppose, getting the least <laughs> luchador tag team Oh, in the history, in the modern history of the business to um, dress up in full body suits, I think was really funny. And the fact that it was so, so obviously them. I enjoyed the fact that CM Punk and the commentators didn't insult our intelligence and they were just straight from the first moments like, well, that's FTR. We we know that, look at it. Of course it is. Who else could it be? Um, it's one of my least favorite wrestling tropes least favorite it's one of my most hated wrestling tropes is dumb commentators pretending that they don't know who that would have been because yeah everyone with eyes figured that out within seconds um so yeah the match itself started <laughs> sorry just picturing they're like when they get into the ring and they do sort of like the leapfrog Thing over each other and that's as um yeah that's as luchadory as it's gonna get for the for ftr um the match itself has got it's kind of cool it's a bit rushed because it's a tv match this is the kind of thing where you would really like to see um you'd want to see something from like all out last year where you had the young bucks versus ftr and you had that yeah you did have that really cool clash of styles and you had that that storyline element where FTR lose it by trying to one up the Young Bucks by doing a big big top rope move and having it fail. Uh, we didn't get that though. What we instead got, um, oh, I mean we yeah there was I mean there was obviously some cool high spots uh, like involving Phoenix where you know with some you know six one nine or backwards six one nine kind of stuff, um, but but ultimately because it was rushed we kind of got to the end quicker than you necessarily would have liked to. And the, the end relatively surprisingly in my eyes was that, um, the Lucha brothers lost. They, they lost their AAA tag team titles to FTR. And, um, yeah, really mixed on this. I think the, the idea of FTR being the AAA tag team champions is brilliant. There, there is nothing more antithetical, to FTR and you know AAA wrestling my problem is that I 
definitely don't know how I feel about the Lucha Brothers, who have had a pretty lukewarm title reign so far. We're not there just hasn't been much happening. Losing the um, losing sort of semi clean, I suppose you would say. Like, I mean, there's a distraction, but it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, it's not clean, but still losing um, to FTR this early on in their in their reign. And you know, yeah, it's for the AAA titles, not the AEW titles, but still, it's it's not a great not a great look I don't think personally I'm I am quite divided on it I'd love to know what other people think because it was it was a real surprise to me I just did not expect um them to to take a title loss this early in their reign um but yeah the upside of that of course is yeah this this idea of FTR being the triple a champions that's that's amazing for triple a because they are gonna be nuclear down there they are gonna be they are gonna make crowds apoplectic in mexico that's for sure um and there should be some incredible matches and some also just very funny very funny segments um yeah we're then sent back stage again to another Tony Schiavone segment where he's this, this was actually one of the backstage segments I, I liked a lot uh, Leo Rush is with Dante Martin and he is really being a dick he's really passive aggressively and sort of condescendingly you know sort of berating him in this really paternalistic way and speaking on his behalf and you can sort of see that Martin as no real like who the hell are you like what do you who do you think you are you're like a few years older than me um yeah it's it's kind of interesting he just yeah he keeps hammering home about how he messed up um and just this really dickish dickish way then he uh declares himself um his his tag team partner going forward and um which is odd because i had sort of heard that Dante's brother Darius was pretty close to actually returning from injury so I'm they've definitely piqued my interest to see where this one goes um whether or not this is some sort of arc involving Rush versus Top Flight when he does come back or whether this is um building into a trios thing I I really don't I I don't know but I it definitely was well performed it left me interested and it didn't end with a beatdown, which for this episode of Dynamite is a rarity that makes it instantly feel golden to me. So they cut to commercial or as we have in New Zealand where we're watching on Fight TV, it's not a commercial break, it's the instrumental version of the Dynamite song repeated for a few minutes at a time so that we have it in our head for multiple days afterwards. And we're back with Tony Schiavone again. Backstage again. Um, they're in a stairwell. The Super Runners are um, they're doing a runner. And then we sort of see this sort of interesting thing where MJF comes in and it's clear, you know, from the discussions he's having with Andrade that he's essentially loaned FTR as mercenaries to, to, um, to Andrade. So what that all means, who knows? I, I did particularly like the line 
again, the MJF just coming off as very um, racist, but not in an overt way. Um, again, just that sort of pig ignorant American way. And I, I like the line where he's like, "Did you want your money in cash or check?" And he says both. I thought that was that was pretty neat. Um, and he really makes sure to emphasise that this loan is for one night only. So obviously, there's building some seeds for some storytelling here that's definitely quite interesting if this sort of leads to an mjf versus andrade feud um that would be interesting you know a sort of almost a heel versus heel feud uh i don't i doubt that's where it's going to lead to but that would definitely pique my interest that would definitely be something i would um be interested in anyway but it's it's another sort of rush segment where uh, not it's, it's a little bit of storyline advancement, but not necessarily a heck of a lot happens. And I suppose actually after my dickish comment I just made in the last bit where I talked about how it didn't end in a beatdown, so that made it really valuable to me. This one doesn't end in a beatdown either, so that's nice too. We get some in-ring action now. Um, I was really curious when I saw this match announced. It's Wheelie Utah versus John Moxley. Wasn't entirely sure how... Yuta fit into this why he was having a match with Moxley I like Wheelie Yuta I I love the best friends I think he's been kind of a cool fit in there while Trent has been injured but sort of didn't necessarily think that he was on the level of Moxley and sure enough he's not that's not the story they tell this isn't this isn't one of these AEW giving young guys the rub matches this is a this is a dark squash match moxley comes in and beats the piss out of him just stiffly and brutally for about a minute maybe even less and gets the paradigm shift in gets a clean pin that's the match awesome loved it this was exactly you know there's a time and a place for squash matches as far as i'm concerned you can have you know aw predominantly does these these sort of matches that when you make people look strong in a loss, but sometimes you don't need that. And for Moxie, especially who is kind of sort of not been lost in the shuffle. He hasn't been lost in the shuffle. He's been off doing other things with other promotions and probably having the time of his life while also looking after a newborn baby. Um, I thought this was a really good way just to remind people that uh, he's really, really strong, and he's not to be messed with, and he is one of the you know top the top of the card guys, and also we might be seeing sort of a heel turn coming here because he he was just ruthless here. This was this was dark and nasty. It was a lot of fun, um, but the, the segment ends weak because uh, you just essentially have this really awkward thing where it goes on too long, where um, Orange Cassidy's sort of standing over his friend. And you don't know what he's supposed to... I mean, it's Orange Cassidy. You suppose he's... You guess he's supposed to be emoting that he doesn't care. But also that's the fun of his character. Sometimes he does. And you think that this might be a moment where he does. Instead, the camera stays there for far too long. And we just have to wait kind of awkwardly. And not really know what's meant to be happening. So this is what I was talking about where I feel like the pacing on the show wasn't as sharp as it has been and it kind of reminded me of some of the older a bit rougher early episodes of dynamite next up uh we go backstage uh again with tony shivani again and now we're talking to serena deeb and this is cool it's good to see serena deeb 
getting a good chance to sort of cement her heel turn and have a talk. And honestly, some of the stuff she's saying isn't uh, untrue at all. She's saying that basically she's tired of having to drag the women's division up to her level. And I don't think she's entirely wrong. I think in terms of pure work rate, she's up there in, in the top two or three performers that they have in that division. Um, it's cool. There's a little nice little gag from CM Punk. Man, he's he's on fire with the with the wisecracks this evening, talking about how she's got a lovely head of hair. Of course, she was in the Stradage Society with him um, and had her head shaved back then. I can't remember what her character's name was. That's appalling. Um, anywho, the, but, you know, for a little, little bit of inside baseball for people that were watching wrestling a decade ago. Um, and, of course, it's then interrupted by Sheeta, which is cool. Um, you know, I'm bagging on brawls, but you've got Hikari Sheeta interrupting it, so I'm fine with it. Uh, in all seriousness though um, it it is an interesting sort of turn of events you see uh, Sheeta um, come in and beat her up and that's the end of the segment Um, it's kind of ambiguous online Sheeta posted a photo of her with the broken trophy kind of uh, looking like almost like setting her up for a heel turn like she's going to be super angry so it's, it's an interesting dynamic that they've got going here I hope they keep this feud going I would watch these two wrestle every week um they're, they're, they're a phenomenal pairing so um curious to see where it goes just wish it could have been done with more time than what felt like about 30 seconds to advance the storyline considering they wasted about 45 seconds to a minute of orange cassidy just awkwardly standing over wheeler yuda with no real purpose or direction so we're on to now a trios match uh, between Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, so the Super Click versus Evil Uno, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order. Match I was really looking forward to. These are the kind of matches that I feel like the Super Click can do in their sleep. And it's cool to be able to see the Dark Order, basically, especially John Silver on a dynamite, getting his chance to showcase his immense energy and his immense talents. Interesting that it's the Dark Order that come in very nonchalantly and cocky uh they're the second to come in and they then proceed to get their asses handed to them because they weren't paying attention i thought that was a weird inversion of um a weird inversion of expectations i'm not sure if it was the right way to go it seems a bit funny if they're really pissed off that they would be acting the clowns as they come into the rings you you sort of that's that's definitely the super click gimmick Never mind. Um, gets the chance, uh, gives the sorry, gives the opportunity for the match to start with a, a lot of pace. Um, they go straight to the outside, which is a bit you know, sort of disappointing. But I suppose again, it is meant to be kind of like a bit of a not a blood feud, but an angry feud. So never mind. That's kind of cool. Um, they <laughs> just just getting back to sort of commentary things that once once it once the match starts, it's kind of funny to hear JR make his reference to okay, yeah, now the fights, you know, it's actually start. They can they can get they can finally get paid. Um, <laughs> a lot of people have problems with JR's little snide comments. Oh, I, I thought that was quite funny. I think sometimes he takes it a bit far. That was pretty neat. I thought. Um, the, the story is essentially that the super click are dominant. They are the ones that are stronger. Um, but we get some really cool spots from 
the Dark Order. First up, we get the Mr. Socko, which the crowd just absolutely eat up. And of course, we get the, the gif that has been shared a million times around the world where they're doing their, uh, their kiss spot. And of course, uh, they've got uh, Uno. Uh, sorry, let me start that again. Cole has Uno in the submission, and the Jacksons bounce off the ropes and they're caught by Reynolds and Silver, who then come in and proceed to kiss Adam Cole on the cheek and then launch him out into the ring um, with a lovely spot, a lovely coordinated spot between the three of them where Uno kicks uh, Cole into. Um, sort of uses his legs as a, as a springboard into uh, Silver and Reynolds, who then backdrop him out to the outside. It's, it's lovely spot wrestling. It's just, it's what these guys, as I say, can sort of do in their sleep. Um, so they get they get some really memorable moments in the match because ultimately it goes the way we, we do expect where they um, they lose. Unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately. I mean, ultimately... It probably should be a case of Adam Cole getting the pin over these guys this early on, um, particularly as we sort of, I, I'm convinced they're building in the long term to an Adam Cole taking over the elite and a big split happening perhaps after, you know, Kenny loses his title to Paige. We can only hope at next month's full gear pay-per-view. This leads to Jungle Boy flying out to um, launch an attack, so we're kind of uh, getting another attack, which is fine. I, at least, at least it's retribution for something that happened earlier on in the night. I appreciate them closing that loop. That's good. It's just that it's the the problem, of course, comes that it, it feels like um, it's just more of the same, and it's a bit repetitive, and it suffers because of the amount of attacks that are happening around it and this isn't the last one either that's the thing it's there's more to come um love that they leave cutler alone again i love this this cutler stooge character i at first i wasn't a fan of it because i actually quite like brandon cutler i enjoyed the stuff he was doing on dark with peter avalon last year and i thought it's a bit of a shame to diminish him so badly but no this is he he seems okay with it he seems to be having fun and he's um very very funny i think and i, I yeah that's him getting beaten to death and left for dead by his um by his so-called friends is is the perfect spot for him so no that was i mean that was cool it was just again i think it suffered by the repetitiveness of everything around it after that we move to another one of these cody segments that i absolutely love these have been these segments with um Cody and Arn have have been some of my favorite stuff that they've been doing recently and this is no exception it's kind of you know they do a bit of that fourth wall breaking where they pull up and he's like hey you got your camera crew here okay you know again it's 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 a little bit cheesy but I appreciate that that detail of acknowledging that yes that camera crew is not invisible like Arn has brought them along for a reason this is staged essentially it's like an intervention and he wants the world to see it and most importantly I suppose is he wants Malachi Black to see it and this is interesting so they, you know they're at the factory gets lambasted by his trainees um, for being late and them basically bollocking him for going all Hollywood Red Velvet slaps him pretty pretty viciously which is kind of cool. Um, and then he, he makes, oh, this, I loved this. The the wrestling sort of old school sort of historian guy in me marked out when he shows him the stuff of 
uh, like Arnon his dad because that's always been one of those weird disconnects that's been here. It's like, why is Arn Anderson helping a Rhodes when the Rhodes and the, you know, the four horsemen were at war for years? It doesn't seem right. Um, but it's cool. It's, 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 it's rare that they fold that into the story and also that they fold in the stuff about the, the fans booing him into the story. This is, this is hot stuff, man. I love this. And I love the way that, they sort of montage it into Cody just essentially taking a beating. And um, yeah, this is controversial. This again, the online reaction is people thinking that this means that Cody's going to get the win over black and that's not good. I, I don't mind, you know, I think if he does get, if they go to a third match or they are going to a third match, I think um, if and if Cody gets the win in that third match, I, I don't particularly mind because it's not unearned to me. I still think Black comes out with two out of three wins out of this feud, but also it's built a story. Like, Cody's not getting a win out of nowhere. He's been beaten twice. He's had his ego absolutely shattered, and they've done this extraordinary job building this turn even if it's an official heel turn this turn where he's his character dynamic is changing and Arn is completely molding him into essentially a horseman I think it's brilliant I love it I absolutely love this I I think there's just such a bias against Cody anyway that people are wanting to see this as bad but this is this is some of the best stuff on the show I think and I'm very excited to see where this goes. I, I loved it again. I thought it was so beautifully produced. I thought it was um, emotional. I thought it was well performed. And I thought it it just keeps building a really exciting story. So yeah, that's my hot take for the day. I, I don't think it's a popular opinion, but I love it. I think it's awesome. We then um, cut back into the James L. Knight Center, we move away from that segment back into the ring and we get a, a sort of unexpected segment again. I don't I don't know if the segment needed to be in here. And this is where I talk about how there's there's a lot of moving parts in the show and the pacing of it is not great. Because this segment is a good segment. I really enjoyed it, but I think it didn't need to, it could have waited a week. There was nothing added to this feud that's going on between MJF and Darby Allen. By including this segment. And this segment involves MJF just being in the ring and accusing Darby Allen of no showing a match that he's announced. And of course, the story is that they've beaten the crap out of him in the parking lot. He's not going to be there because he's um, injured. And so he then forces Justin Roberts to come up and make uh like you know, make a ring announcement. I I on a side note, love that Justin Roberts sort of feigns confusion and you know does a bit of acting again little details Mwah, love that very cool um this is great great performance from mjf normally i would say you can't have too much mjf he's just absolute money um and of course he, he you know the the match doesn't isn't on the cards it's not going to happen but sting is in the building even though darby allen is and he isn't he doesn't come down um so he comes down, MJF does the classic cowardly heel things, throws throws um, Wardlow at him, and Wardlow gets beaten by Sting with the bat. So I like all those elements. I love having Sting in there. I love the cowardly heel. 
I love that adding more to the Wardlow getting more and more fed up with MJF stuff. I love the fact that Sting only gets him because he's got a weapon. All those elements are brilliant. There's so much going on here that's good stuff. But again, I just don't think it needed to be there this week. Why couldn't it wait a week? When you see what comes up and how rushed the rest of the show gets, I just don't think this was necessary. It wasn't exactly advertised. This isn't something that people were tuning in for expecting. So I think this was a bit of a blunder on um, on their regard. Even though, as I say, this is really, really good stuff. And boy, I do feel like a broken record because now I'm going to say it again. We're backstage again with Tony Schiavone again. And we're going to have an interview interrupted that's going to turn into a brawl. Again, again, something that I'm not sure needed to be on the show. I don't understand why this segment was inserted. It's just, it is using valuable time that could have waited a week. What happens, essentially, I've, I've just bagged on it without even explaining what it is, is we, we've got Tony having an interview with Anna Jay. Britt Baker comes in, interrupts, calls the Dark Order losers, um because they you know lost her boyfriend and um the young bucks and then she's berating Anna Jay as well sort of saying she can't do anything without Ty Conti and that turns into a brawl and that's it okay good storyline advancement would love to see trios intergender matches whatever potential for all kinds of things lots to do lots lots to see potentially in the future don't know why this couldn't wait a week it it's so rushed it has no time to breathe it's repetitive again. This is this is where you know CM Punk starts saying that actually this work environment is dangerous and it's safer to be in the ring. And once you've got your commentators in such an awkward spot where they have to make a comment about how you know how repetitive and sort of cliche things are, are becoming, I, I don't think you're in a in a very good spot. So I again, this is just like the MJF segment and this and the fact there's nothing wrong with it. And it's quite good, and it's advancing story that can lead some wonderful places in the future. But I don't see why it had to be on this show, and why it couldn't wait a week. Um, yeah, just uh, not for me. Not for me. Not when you've still got multiple segments coming up, including a women's match, including you know um, Brian Danielson, including Hangman Page, and including brackets for the upcoming tournament for the world title. Yeah, just just taking up precious, precious time that I don't think they had. We get our um, <clears throat> token women's match for the night, I suppose, if I'm going to be cynical about it. Apparently this is a sort of a bit of a thing from TNT, is they're only sort of allowing one women's match on the card. That could be complete crap. I don't actually know if that's true. That's just what I read in the, the sort of rumor circles. If that, is, if that isn't true, I apologize, because um, it's it's... It's, that means it's a sort of a bit of a failing of AEW because this isn't really good enough. What they've really, they've kind of really put Hogan and Ford in a difficult position here. There's been so much on the show and there are the most important segments to come and they've kind of sandwiched them in here in front of a small crowd who has not responded to any women's matches over the past two shows and they, again, essentially kill the crowd. Or at least the crowd dies on them. I don't think it's fair to say they kill the crowd. They don't do anything wrong. The match isn't great. Um, Hogan is not... Well, the thing is, is that you know, Ford's still kind of green. I think Hogan's kind of green. I don't know a heck of a lot about her 
I mean, especially in terms of doing these television matches that have to do quite a lot in such a short amount of time. Um, it's, again, it's that sort of problem where there's a lot of stuff that's quite clearly telegraphed. Um, a lot of sort of, not botches, because they don't stuff things up, but a lot of sort of quite transparent communication between performers, which is, you know, it's fine, whatever. It just does sort of suck you out of it. And it's not it's not great to be showcasing this late in the card when people are starting to get feverishly um, impatient waiting for Hangman, for example. Um, so I don't think they did them any favours. Penelope, um, you know, she she leads the match, or she's dominant throughout the match. Hogan then gets a, um, a bit of offence in, as you would expect, and, and essentially uh, she, Penelope, uh, fights back, gets a cutter, um, and, and wins the match by submission. And there's not really much else to say about it. This doesn't um, do much other than set up Ford for, you've guessed it, a, a run-in from Ruby Soho that ends in another brawl, um, which is to be expected. And again, if we're looking for the positives, they're advancing a story that they've been consistently advancing for a few weeks now, and it's it's starting to build up pretty nicely. Hope what, what I hope it's for the pay-per-view in a few weeks' time. Um, but it's just that issue of tone and repetitiveness. It's like, we have seen this so many times tonight now, we actually don't need to see it again there needed to be something needed to be cut to make this more effective or this needed to be moved earlier in the show so that something else was less effective and when i say it's not effective i think like you can contrast this to the next segment this is a whole match and a follow-up that was given a bit of time and had less impact than the next segment which was 90 seconds long and that was miro you know doing a taped promo this beautifully shot taped promo where he talks about how uh, questioning whether or not he's disappointed as God and essentially questioning him as to why he's been forsaken and this nasty turn halfway through about how he's done asking and he's, he's done pleading and basically he's now getting into demanding territory and it is menacing. It is beautiful. It is powerful and it is so superbly uh, efficient at putting so much information and so much drama into 90 seconds, it really makes the stuff that just came before it look kind of wasteful and low impact. And that is only sort of doubled down upon when we finally get to the segment everyone's been waiting for that they've been talking about all night and we don't have much, we've got like 20 minutes left on the clock now and they've still got three things to get through. Um, and that's Hangman Page coming down to talk about cowboy stuff. I'm going to keep my clean language record going on this um, on this podcast. If you want swearing, by all means, visit my Twitter page. I'm, a, I'm sort of a bit of a different person on the Twitter page. I'm a bit more of a catty... Um, catty mark i have a bit more fun bit more fun over there um but yeah so hangman comes down and this yeah so talking about making stuff and early in the show look not great this is just wonderful stuff from adam page this is absolutely gorgeous somebody pointed out to me um that there's no drink in his hand you know it's just him there's nobody around he has confidence in itself i didn't even notice that 
But those are those little details that are just so perfect and just add so much to this two-year story that they've been building. Um, and he launches into this amazing promo, this just perfect babyface promo about how essentially he hasn't had a lot of belief. He called his shot earlier on and he, and he failed and he went down this sort of dark path and then he made some friends and just encapsulates this two-year story into about three or four minutes really perfectly and then talks about how he does believe in himself now and this sounds so cheesy when you recap it like this it sounds so lame and it's such a credit to the words he speaks to the delivery he gives and to the work that they have done in building this character and taking us all on a journey that he delivers what may be one of the top three promos in AEW history it's superb I loved it there was a promo he did a while back when he was still teaming up with the Dark Order and it was this really powerful crescendo that it ends on where he's like, um, the Dark Order does not back down from a fight. You are on and you know scares Kenny out of the ring. And that was always my favorite of his until this one. This was just perfection in terms of building your white beat baby face. This is, I just cannot wait for this match. I think next week we'll do just a whole talk about this in general, or maybe we'll just do a separate episode on this storyline because this has been amazing and it's worth all the hype. It's worth all the accolades that it's getting because it's just that damn good. And to end the night, well, I mean, technically there is one tiny 12-second segment after this, but to end the night we have got... Brian Danielson backing up from the stiffest match in God knows how long um, with Minoru Suzuki the night before. We got him backing up with Bobby Fish. And the, the couple of notes just straight up. Um, the commentators, I think, do a great job in emphasizing how tough this is and the difference, I suppose, that between the two men's matches in terms of like the time and the impact of them and that actually, you know, Fish is coming into this in the better shape considering what um, Danielson had to go through the night before. I thought that was a really nice touch. I thought that really just added um, an extra level of uh, hurdles for Danielson to overcome. And this was a really cool match. Um, as I was saying before, singing the praises of Bobby Fish, I think he did a really good job here of um, taking it to Danielson and delivering some of those, you know, those stiff kicks, um, really attacking the leg and focusing on it, which is uh, really cool. It's kind of this, they've got a very sort of similar style uh, in terms of being submission wrestlers and doing these really, really lovely strikes. It's not as brutal by any means as the night uh, before, obviously, you wouldn't expect it to be. Um, Fish hits, he's really good at that avalanche falcon arrow, that looks uh, really cool. Fish is taunting the crowd beautifully. Um, one pop that I loved where he's like, so this is your American dragon, huh? And he's just teasing them, um, really getting the heat up on itself. They go into some lovely submission maneuvers um, and, you know, a good spot wrapping the leg around the, the ring post, um, which was, you know, mirroring like the, because Fish had done that to Danielson, he was then doing it, Back to him, um, yeah. This was this was really cool. It wasn't they were pressed for time? Unfortunately, I would love to have seen this one gone half an hour. But I think that's just going to be a recurring theme with Danielson. As I want to see him wrestle all night because he's just so good. And 
when you've got someone in there like Bobby Fish, who I've just who has just been so impressive since he started, this is just wrestling heaven for me. Um, gets him in the submission to end the match, the the heel the heel grab, whatever it's called. Show my lack of nous for submission maneuvers, obviously. Um, and just crushes him in that really quick submission, really puts over the maneuver and the power of Danielson in getting it on. There's not much to say about this match. It, it's not as good as the the match the night before, but it's not meant to be. That's not the standard we're holding it to. This is just a really um, wonderful showcase, and we then get the 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 draw for the world title eliminator tournament. And guess who's on there? Brian Danielson, and he's going to be facing Dustin Rhodes. Now, actually, on this this topic, this is really unfortunate. Is they because they ran out of time, they had to just basically flash this card up on the screen and because I didn't really get a chance to to talk about it much and to sort of I suppose elaborate on it Twitter went a bit wild with this and myself included I remember seeing it and thinking why the hell is Dustin Rhodes on it and you know Preston Vance on it but we don't have anyone like uh well like anyone like from the dark order um like Stu Grayson for example or John Silver why do we not have Miro? Why do we not have Cole? Um, those are just your sort of initial feelings, I think. But I think once you sort of settle into it, you see that actually this is this is building into potentially a very, very lovely tournament. Um, like a lot of people, unless you're going to... I think the question is, is, whoever wins this tournament is going to lose to Hangman if Hangman wins the title next month. That's what ultimately we want to happen, or at least I want to happen as a fan, is I'd like to see Hangman win the title next month, and whoever goes into this one, whoever wins this, to essentially be his first loss. So when you start thinking about that, it has to be meaningful. And with all due respect to guys like, you know, Grayson or Silver or, um, you know, some of the other guys that probably deserve a shot do you that's not meaningful but also to those big names like Cole and Miro and Punk and that kind of thing do you really want them eating that loss sort of this early on I think Miro can't lose a game for a long time I think they need to do something completely different with him Cole's got his own storyline going on Punk's gonna get into a feud what looks good potentially is where we end up with a Moxley Brian Danielson final and I think that could be outstanding if we get those two narrowing it down to a final which it sort of looks like it should lead to and one of them gives the rub to Hangman Page in his first title defense then we're on to something pretty special I think but of course they didn't do themselves any favors by rushing through and having to present these brackets without any explanation without any sort of hype package without any sort of promos or anything like that it was really disappointing way to end the show and it led to sort of a fury or a fury a flurry I should say of online speculation and discussion and really disrespecting and I'm guilty of this I'm absolutely guilty of this you know some of those performers like Dustin Rhodes that you know ultimately have a pretty good win-loss record but are there to eat a loss essentially then there so that someone else can move to the next round so that was dynamite Ended with a real whimper, I think, which is a real shame. It's, it's it's strange to say that the last match of the night is a Brian Danielson one and the show ends on a whimper, but that's actually what happened. And it wasn't the 
it wasn't the match's fault, that's for sure. Some real, real ups from this show, some real, real good moments, including including that last match and the opening match. It, it was bookended so strongly. But man, some real downs as well. Just too many, too many backstage interviews interrupted by a brawl. A um, couple of segments that could have absolutely waited a week. A, a women's match that was just put in an impossible position and really did not help those performers, especially in front of a, a crowd that has shown very little interest in the women's performers, unfortunately. Um, so definitely one of the one of the lower ranked dynamites in recent history but that's okay they can't knock it out of the park every week it's still still the best wrestling show on television week in week out generally and i mean that's all you can really ask for isn't it so that was the AEW wrap for this week not sure what's in the pipeline coming up this week but i think we've spent enough time talking about everything that's gone on anyway and you're probably sick to death of hearing me so on that note, I'd just like to wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever the hell you are, and uh, look forward to catching up with you online or talking to you next week. Hi, Dada. <laughs>